Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Oh, Ward. We have been hoping and waiting, and today's the day. By the way, did you start doing the music cue did you do that on laskowski yes you did but in between the intro and the interview not between the interview and the outro okay so it's already up yes good more music i thought maybe this would be the debut but we've you you gave it a test run with the laskowski interview right but was going to ask you if you wanted it at the tail end of the interview too i mean that requires me to listen to it right and that means that i have to listen to you singing again just Two refrains, very brief. Yeah, all right. Hoosier, hysterics. Let me let me get a Hoosier, cigar. Hysterics. Let me get a cigar in. Let me get my Zen place, and then I'll listen to <laughs> your it. Your favorite thing and your least favorite thing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, in fairness, it was your idea. It was my idea to add more music in. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't have any other options for what the music would be. There's not a reserve library of music we have to pull from. <laughs> so it is just the Hoosier hysterics. Uh, Ward, we get to do this one. In large part, because why? Well, Eric, it's because we are powered by Pigs. Pigs legitimizes us. It does. Shout out to J.D. Campbell, though, on on this one as well. J.D. Uh, Shout out to the Charlotte Hornets. Hooray. Uh, Thank you to the Charlotte Hornets. Thank you, Michael Jordan. All right, let's stop messing around and get right to this one, Ward. Hoosier hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Nation, super, super, super special guest, active NBA player guest. That's all I'm going to say. Eric, you tell him the rest. Our first interview with an active NBA player. I'm my palms are a little sweaty. And this isn't just any active NBA player. Guys, here's what we got today. We have a three-time Indiana State champion. We have the Mr. Basketball from the state of Indiana 2011. We have a first team All Big 10, second team All-American, John Wooden All-American, first team academic All-American. Finished his career shooting 59.1% from the field, which at the time 
was number one, but we're going to get into it's not number one anymore, and I wonder if he's upset about that. Just barely. <laughs> we are talking to the fourth pick of the NBA draft in 2013. We are talking to someone who made the NBA all-rookie second team, and we are talking to someone who, I, I hate to embarrass him with this, but the most important recruit that Indiana has landed since – I don't know when. Damon Bailey? Maybe even more important More than important, because Damon, Damon came into a loaded team. Guys, we can't believe we get to say this. Please welcome Cody Zeller. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me on. It was a very flattering uh, intro, but... I mean, at the top of the list is after I do this, it's going to be this podcast. Oh, <laughs> you are just a liar! I mean, I mean, I've I've seen the list of, of the other guys that you've had on the on the show, and uh, and I'm I'm just flattered to be on here. Oh well, that is flattering. We know you're lying, and we like it anyway. So, look, look Cody. <laughs> when Eric said this was a possibility, he was like, he was like, Cody, he'd be like on the Mount Rushmore of like the, the, all the guys on Earth. We could get to do this. Like he's there. Where are you at right now? And I think the thing our listeners are really going to want to know is how much money has your lemonade stand raised for Campbell Walker's max contract? <laughs> The lemonade stand has got a lot of pub recently. Uh, we've had some highs and lows so far, uh, mostly the lows. But, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate that this this will be some free marketing for the lemonade stand. So that'll be that. Hopefully, that'll help our sales. So for those who don't know what the lemonade stand is, Cody has set up a lemonade stand to raise money to support giving a supermax contract to Kemba Walker of the Charlotte Hornets. The, the stated goal is two hundred and twenty-one million dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, it's you know we set our goals high, but you know, can we get an update on where the money is right now? Oh, we haven't broke even yet. <laughs> yeah, well, but I but, mean, I mean, you take like the poster board and the markers, and then the lemonade, and yeah, we're we haven't broke even yet. Cody, who's making the lemonade? Are you actually stirring the lemonade? Well, I think that's that's another issue is that I got the I started with the simply lemonade just from the store, top yeah. shelf. My customers will want a premium product, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the other problem is that the kids on the street are pretty good negotiators. They've they've negotiated themselves into quite a few free glasses of lemonade, so that doesn't help sales at all either. No, you got to water that product down. You got to like basically yeah. fill up a gallon jug with water and squeeze a lemon that you grab from a local tree and <laughs> call it lemonade. Water, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Cody. Let's walk through just where you are right now. Uh, how is the offseason going for you? We know you had some injury issues this last season, last couple seasons, actually. And how are you doing now, and what's the outlook for the upcoming NBA season? Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, we're uh, doing summer workouts right now, uh, um, but it's still early, early in the summer, so uh, they're pretty laid back. Usually um, do about an hour of treatment, rehab, um, and then do about an hour uh, lifting weights, quite a bit of, of uh, time in the weight room this time of year. And then I'm on the court for about 30 minutes. Um, so and then I'll, I'll crank that up as uh, as we get closer to the season. But for now, it's just kind of uh, kind of staying in shape and, you know, put on a little bit of strength and work on a few things on the court. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, it's uh, that's, that's each morning during the week. And it's a, a rough, rough schedule for me because I'm usually done by about noon and then I got the rest of the day free. So, uh, oh yeah. boy, there's trouble yeah, there. What, That's what, when you have time to do podcasts and lemonade yeah. stands. 
Yeah, and lemonade stand. That's what I was going to say. So, so but, what, but, what well, walk us through what goes on after noon? I, I'm just curious. What fills your day besides <laughs> the lemonade stand? What are you doing from noon till bedtime? Uh, I usually take a nap, um, watch a movie or TV show, okay. kill some time, and then you know most you know most people have a regular working job, so they don't get off till five or so. So most of my friends that I have here in town uh, are off work around then. So then I'm, I'm able to get dinner. Uh, tonight, I'm, tonight I'm going to a Charlotte Knights baseball game. Nice. Uh, the AAA baseball team here in town. So I like doing other stuff like that, um, you know, trying to enjoy a little bit of the city. It's, it's nice in the off season where you can kind of do some of that stuff or, you know, during the season it's just so busy with so many games and travel that, uh, I'm not able to do much of that stuff during the season. What TV show are you watching? Uh, I'm actually rewatching the the Office right now. Not the the American Office. Yeah, yeah. Got yeah. it. Now, did you yeah. go? Did you go go full Parks and Rec when that was on? No, I haven't done Parks and Rec. I'm more of a movie guy, to be honest with you. Oh, hey, no uh, problem uh, with that. What what movies you yeah. been into lately? Uh, a little bit of everything. I just. I feel like TV shows are just such a, a big investment in my time, you know? Of course. Like it, you know, like the, I I never watched uh, Game of Thrones, for one, because I got behind on it, and now I'm like, you know, obviously six seasons behind. It was like, that would be weeks of my life trying to get caught up. So, yeah, I'm more of a, a movie guy. Even if it's a bad movie, it's only two, hour, two hours of your life. So, Did you go see uh, Endgame? Uh, yeah, loved it. Yeah, Eric, just so you know, Ward hasn't seen it, so I like talking to people I, about I it. I don't know why Eric would bring that up. That's the one <laughs> thing I can't talk about. Cody, don't you think it's ridiculous that he has not seen it? He claims to be a movie guy, and he has not seen what will end up being the biggest movie of all time. A Eric. Yeah, of all time. We won't we won't share any spoilers with you, though. So. Thank you, Cody. That's very considerate of you. That's still got very, time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but look, I'm going to make this plug for Parks and Rec. It's basically the same format, the same idea as The Office, but it's all Indiana-based. It's all small-town Indiana-based. And I'm a small town right. Indiana guy like you. So it's kind of like all these inside Indiana kind of cracks or whether they're visiting the Colts practice facility or there's a big picture of Bobby Knight behind Ron Swanson. It's sort of like the inside Indiana uh, office version. All right. No problem. Right, I'll, check, I'll check it out. Yeah. Did, I'll let you know what I think. All right. So let's uh, we want to kind of just focus on your NBA career a little bit, especially we're, we're almost in the offseason totally on the NBA finals are are going on right now the nba draft is coming up and i'd love to take you back to the run-up to the 2013 nba draft when you were uh you had declared you were in it was widely uh, expected that you would be a lottery pick can you just walk us through as a guy who grew up playing basketball and dreaming of playing in the nba what was that time like for you in the run-up to the draft uh, great question. It was like a it was a whirlwind between really the end of uh, the end of the season, my sophomore year up until the draft, because um, I, I started workouts. Then uh, I went out to Los Angeles. My agent is in Los Angeles. I worked out actually with Ed Schilling and Ed Schilling had started. Uh, he had taken a job at UCLA. And so he did my my pre-draft workouts. He's at IU now, obviously. Yeah. And so I worked out there for about a month, getting into shape. And then I started the, I did, went to the combine and then I did, uh, I worked out for 10 different teams and anywhere from the magic at two down to, I think the jazz had the 14th pick. So anywhere in that range, I worked out. 
and it was fine to each city, you know, work out, go to dinner with the front office, um, you know, spend about a night in, in each city and fly to the next city. So it was kind of a whirlwind. Once I got to the, to the draft, uh, I was just so relieved that month was over and uh, I could finally figure out what team I was going to, what city, and kind of uh, move on, find an apartment, get settled into the, to the new city. And, uh, but, yeah, it was definitely a whirlwind for sure. And, and did you and Vic have a side bet on who would go first? Uh, no, not too much. Not too much. We, we went kind of back and forth, but, uh, we actually had, I think the only workout that we did together was in Phoenix, which is really fun for both of us. We did a, uh, they did a, they did a, uh, a conditioning test where you had to do, you had to see how many lengths of the floor you could run. I, I want to say in three minutes and Vic and I all the way back to college, we always, you know, kind of the, the old iron sharpens iron. We'd always be competing with each other and so Vic and I were neck and neck for the whole conditioning workout and the other four guys in the workout were nowhere near us but but it kind of took us back to the college days of being able to compete with and against each other All right, but who won who won the conditioning drill you or Vic uh, I honestly can't remember oh man can't remember. when we talked to Vic I bet he remembers yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> ask Vic ask Vic when you talk to him so I'm I'm curious about draft night, but there is maybe the most important thing leading up to a prospective NBA lottery pick is the suit. What suit are you going to wear? Now, we've seen some crazy outfits at the NBA draft. Did you put any thought into the suit and the outfit? I mean, you were the big handsome. It had to come into play. <laughs> no, I actually, uh, my agent helped me out a little bit and hooked me up with like a stylist, which... Uh, he didn't really give me an option of whether I needed it or not. He just told me, like, <laughs> that's not you a good need sign. Stylist badly. Yeah, that is so, not a good sign when they don't give you a choice. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he, he a guy fitted for a suit for the draft and then a suit for uh, the day after the draft. I flew straight to Charlotte and had all my uh, draft interviews and did all that. So, uh, but yeah, even for the draft combine, uh, I had the same thing the styles kind of fit me for a couple outfits i had uh the everyone everyone talks about it the draft combine the the metrics for the numbers of like the vertical leap and the you know bench press and everything else but uh, even a bigger portion of it especially for the lottery picks is the interviews they do so each team gets a, a chance to talk with you and so i think i did uh 14 interviews and over the course of three days and each were thir- uh, 30 minutes a piece. And so the stylist had fit me for some clothes for that. And I wanted to look nice to <laughs> talk to each front office. So, but the first, the first one, he had, uh, they, they put a, I wore a green shirt and some pants and I looked nice, but I, I, I was just so caught up in stuff and I forgot to, to pack the undershirt. And so, and I sweat like crazy like on the court, <laughs> off the court. And so I wasn't really, really, I didn't really know what to expect in the, the draft, in the interviews. And so I went to the first interview, and I think it was with the Raptors. And so they started drilling me with questions and, and there's probably, it's probably the size of like a hotel room. So it's a pretty small room, but there's probably anywhere from six to 10 people in there. And it's like the general manager, assistant GM. Some of them had psychologists in there. And so the like questions are coming from everywhere. And the first the first interview was with Toronto. 
And the only question that they stumped me with of all 14 interview uh, was Toronto. And they said, what do you know about Toronto? And I said, uh, it's in Canada. <laughs> and, True. And they said, okay, you know anything else? And I was like, uh, they have high taxes. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And so, so we, we were kind of, so I didn't really know what to expect. So after the very first interview, I had already pitted out my shirt because I was, I was nervous and I was kind of under pressure and I had six interviews following oh. it. And so it ended up like, it ended up being a little bit of an icebreaker because every room that I walked into, they were like, were you running sprints in the hallway? Or, like, and, you, and you should have said, yeah. yes, you should have said, yes, I yeah, never exactly. stopped working out. I never <laughs> exactly. stopped working out. Um, so, yeah, the stylist helped me, but also, uh, yeah, it was definitely a memorable experience for sure. So you talk about these conversations with these teams. Well, you get drafted by a team and your new boss is Michael Jordan. What's the first conversation with him you have? <laughs> uh, I feel like you've heard this story before if you're teeing this up for me. <laughs> no, uh, but now I'm extra <laughs> curious. Uh, so the, the very first uh, time that I talked with him was uh, right after I – got drafted by the Hornets, Bobcats. And, and so David Stern announced my name, uh, walked up on stage, shook his hand, walked off stage. And the first thing I did was they handed me the phone and they said, uh, there's, there's three guys on the, on the call. It's a conference call. It's Rod Higgins, who's the president of basketball operations. Um, Rich Cho, who's the general manager and Michael Jordan. And so it's the three guys who so handed me the phone and, the first person that I talked to was, uh, was Rod Higgins, who's the president. And, you know, he said, you know, we're glad that we had a chance to draft you. Uh, we're excited for you to get to Charlotte. And I said the same thing, you know, I'm excited to get to Charlotte. I'm excited to work and had a quick conversation with him. And he said, all right, I'm going to pass the phone on. And so the second voice I recognized was, was Rich Cho, who's our, the GM. And I, I knew him the best of the three. He was he had been to Indiana quite a few times um, to talk with me. And then when I did my workout in Charlotte, uh, I had been to dinner with him. So I, I recognized his voice and had kind of a similar conversation real quick of just, you know, I'm excited to get to Charlotte. I'm excited to work out and kind of kind of zoning out like I'm, I'm ready to talk to MJ. The next one is going to be MJ. And so I talked to him for a few minutes and. And then at the, at the very end, he says, all right, I'm going to pass the phone on. And he said, I'm going to pass the phone on to Rich. Mm -hmm. And so it registered that I had just had like a five-minute conversation with MJ. <laughs> and you were zoning out. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay, thanks, Mr. Jordan. <laughs> and yeah, so embarrassing. So I, I'm not sure if he realized that I didn't know. Uh, I've obviously never brought it up, but... Uh, yeah, so since he's then, a, I've, I've gotten better. He's a regular listener, so he'll know now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cody, up until the draft, when you got close to draft night, how were you fairly confident that if you were available for Charlotte at four, you were going to go to them? Or was it a surprise when you heard your name? Uh, it was a surprise when I heard, heard my name. Um, a couple of days before the draft, the Orlando Magic had me in to work out. And there's so many games that GMs play, and I know more now than, than I did then, but there's so many games that GMs play with. Uh, they don't kind of want to show their hand too early because they're afraid that, you know, a, a team in front of them will steal their player they want. 
And so I think Orlando worked me out. I think more so just to kind of, kind of worry the, with the Bobcats at the time. Uh, Cause I think it had gotten out that the Hornets were interested in me. And so I wasn't real sure. I was hoping for Charlotte um, because of the, I knew I'd play right away as a rookie. I knew it was a good city. And, but really up until uh, the draft, I, I had no idea. And even, even more so, my Tyler had been drafted the year before me and I decided to, to let Tyler have his own draft. And so I didn't go along, but the rest of my family was there for Tyler's draft. And so at his table, I think you get six, six seats at your table. And so at Tyler's table, it was my older brother, Luke and his wife and both my parents and our agent. And so they had all gone through it before me. And they had all told me that before you, your name gets called by David Stern, uh, our agent will be able to tell you like, Hey, this is going to be you being drafted here. And there's five minutes on the clock, but you can kind of tell by like the way the cameras move and mm-hmm. they want to get your first reaction. So I kind of knew that going into it. And so for my draft, kind of the same thing I had, uh, uh, my brother and his wife, my parents and, but my agent was also representing CJ McCollum, who was, uh, who was in that draft as well. And so my agent was sitting one table away. And so I was kind of like, you know, the Hornets come on to the, you know, they got five minutes to make their pick. And my eyes are just locked in on my agent, kind of hoping that he picks up his phone and, you know, has a good message for me. And so it goes down to four minutes, three minutes, two minutes. And he still is like, he's got his phone on the table. And he's just like looking around, like, you know, no worries in the world. And so I don't really see like the camera shuffling around or anything. And so it went down to one minute and then uh, David Stern walks up to the podium and I leaned over to my mom and I was like, they must've passed on me. (laughs) And so then he announces that it was me that drafted. And so my agent comes up and gives me a big hug. And I had spent a month with him before Los Angeles working out. So I have a great relationship with him and we're both very sarcastic, kind of giving each other a hard time, playing pranks on each other. And so I give him a big hug and he's like, I knew five minutes ago, I just wanted to make you sweat it out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I probably deserved that one. So anyway, so I, I really did not know anything until David started announce it. But wow. but you had an undershirt on that time, so it wasn't so obvious you had sweated yeah, it out. Yeah, obviously, and the suit, so nobody could tell <laughs> Yeah, how bad I was sweating. So, Cody, I'm curious, look, everybody that's just kind of a regular person and not a professional athlete, we have fun looking at things like how much money movies make in the box office. Oh, this made billions of dollars, whatever, like Endgame. Or, as you know, reading about contracts for your favorite athletes or how much actors are getting paid in movies. We're fascinated by it. Yeah. You're this kid from Washington. You come up, you go to IU, you get drafted number four in the NBA draft. You are now going to be a multi-millionaire. And I know it's not polite to talk about money, but we're going to talk a little bit about money here. <laughs> At what point d- does it just register to you that, oh, my God, I- I'm a multi-millionaire? Like, that is incredible. What I'm curious if that ever landed. I know it's about making the NBA and achieving your dreams, but there is incredible money with it. And if that hit you on that night or any night close to that, and did you buy something stupid? <laughs> Great question. I, I don't really mind talking about it. 
for one, because it is, it kind of puts me in a tough spot at times because our salaries are so public. Yeah. You how much money I make in five seconds by Googling it. But, uh, but yeah, when I got drafted, I, I grew up in a, a comfortable family. We didn't have a ton of money. We weren't rich by any means, but we were comfortable. And, and so I knew the value of a dollar and I knew that, um, you know, the contract that I had signed for the rookie deal was a big deal. Uh, but I've always looked for the long term of like, this is only going to last so long. And so I think I have a little different mindset than, than most people, uh, when it comes to that. So, yeah, I didn't have anything crazy. The, the one thing that I, uh, loved was I bought a California King bed. Nice. The first first time that I'd ever fit in a bed perfectly. (laughs) And so that was, you know, small luxuries like that. I bought a nice big screen. Uh, my apartment was really nice. So little stuff like that, but nothing crazy. My teammates still give me a hard time. I, I, um, I did a, a car commercial after I was coming out of college. So I get, I got a free two year lease and on a, a Dodge charger. Nice. And after two years, I bought it as a used car. I <laughs> it for a couple years. So, and that's just the, still the same car. Like the only car that I've had since I got drafted. So it comes up at least once a day. I got I got it from two of my teammates just today at the arena. Like, Zeller, when are you going to buy a new car, man? You're driving a Dodge Charger. I was like, at this point, I'm just proving a point. Like, I'm not buying a new yeah, car. Yeah, now it's a battle of wills. I mean, you yeah, can't exactly. give in. You cannot give exactly. in. Well, let's exactly. let's go back to your, your beginnings in Washington, and you saw two brothers who, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it really would have – you would have been the black sheep of the family if you hadn't won Mr. Basketball – if you hadn't won a state title or three, but why do you decide to uh, forego a school like UNC, like one brother went to that, that was winning national championships? And why do you decide to commit to Indiana university when the program is arguably at its darkest depth in program history? Uh, I think each one of our, my brother and I's recruiting situations were different. Um, with Tyler, obviously it was with coach Sampson and they had all the, uh, violations that they were coming off of. And then Luke was with, uh, with coach Davis and they were kind of up and down as well. So I think each, each one of my brothers was kind of in a different situation. And, uh, for me, I, I knew that I wanted to stay close to home and the tradition of Indiana. And I knew that at the time, they hadn't started winning, but I could tell just by just by the work ethic of the guys. And I mean, you could see, you know, Will Sheehy was already there. Vic was already there. Some of those guys that hadn't quite developed or made that step, but I could tell just by how intense the practices were that it was like, this is going to click eventually for this, this team. Like you and, went up on, on recruiting visit and saw the practices and that's what made it click for you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I think, uh, Obviously, the Kelly School business was important to me. Uh, like I said, being close to home, the tradition. I mean, there's nothing like Assembly Hall. So uh, I think it all kind of um, kind of played into it. I mean, I I really I really did consider all three of my final options. Of you know, Butler had Brad Stevens. They had been in two national championships. Uh, I think what hurt them was that they were still in the Horizon League at the time, and I just wanted to play on a bigger stage. And then with North Carolina, there was uh, obviously I could have played 
with my brother for a year, but they had, uh, they had John Henson. They had my brother, they had the Ware twins at the time. And then they had signed, uh, uh, James McAdoo, who was ranked higher than me in high school. And so I was kind of like the, you know, the fourth or fifth big guy, if I would have went there and coach Williams was very honest with me and thought that I could have a big impact by my junior year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, you I were was like, more... you were like, Roy, I'm going to be getting paid by then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be driving a Dodge charger for free. My junior year. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I love Coach Williams. I respect him a lot. Tyler had a great experience there, but uh, but yeah, I, I definitely wanted to play early on as a freshman, and um, and it worked out. So yeah, I was definitely glad that I. By the way, made Cody, just so you know how we operate here, when we have any uh, Indiana Hoosier basketball player tell us that they respect or like another coach that's not the Indiana coach, we just edit that out of the show. We, we can't have that on this podcast. We are irrational, and we don't we don't like that. It makes us re- it makes us sweaty. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I'm okay with that. So I am curious, though, uh, just to dig in a little bit more. We're always curious as fans following the recruiting process, which just is getting more and more insane and more and more of a spotlight on it. Even then, when you committed, which I thought, I mean, just to share an embarrassing story, I have three children. And at that time, well, at that time I only had two. Two were alive. No, only one was alive when you committed. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had one child. I think that's true. Because you committed in 2011, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, no. Or 2010, somewhere around that. So I had two children. Yeah. God, this is terrible. <laughs> I had two children. And the night before your announcement, pigs.com had a chat session. And I don't know if you know about the infamous Pigs chat sessions, but they are just pure insanity, and they're really fun. (laughs) But there was a chat session for Mike and Jeff to just divulge what they knew at that time, and it was pure chaos. I was supposed to be putting my kids down to bed, and I am in their room with my computer with a children's book in one hand and my laptop open in the other watching the – and I'm like (laughs) confusing the children's story with what I'm reading on the chat. And then I just put the children's book away and explain to my kids what's going on with the Cody Zeller recruitment. (laughs) So it was mayhem. But what what I'm curious about is – we think that what goes on on the court does have a real impact on on recruiting. And right now, Indiana's had a little bit of a, a rough go the last several years. And we're, we're losing some recruiting battles that a lot of people were hoping we would win. And we're wondering if the product on the court is affecting that. You saw three years of Coach Crean's teams that, just speaking honestly, they were brutal. I mean, the team was terrible for three years, including the year – that you committed and you said you saw in the in the workouts and in practice but did what was happening on the court the losses piling up did that matter to you or did the idea that you could really be someone who helps this program turn the corner did that matter more uh not so much uh you know i knew that i could have an impact um honestly i didn't know that i would have as big an impact as i did uh, but I wanted to be a part of something that was growing and building and headed in the right direction. And, you know, I think some, some guys just want to take the, the easy way out and join, you know, the best team at that time, or, you know, now it's, it's, it's a lot different than, you know, it's been eight years ago. It's just crazy to think about since, since I made my choice. And now with, you know, social media and everything else that, that plays into it, that, 
you know, the kids, the mindset of kids that are coming out these days are, you know, the practice facility or where are they going to get the most publicity or, or anything else. And really mine was, was about who am I going to play with? Who am I going to be on the court with the coaching staff? And I want to get a good degree. And so I, I might be a little bit of an outlier in, in the things that I was looking for compared to uh, kids these days. We should also give credit where credit is due, and that is to your family. I mean, the the word yeah. was from the outside that your parents, your dad, and your brothers, since they had all gone through it before, it never got out of hand for you. It was never too much. There was never weird influences on you. It was just you making a personal decision with your family. And I think a lot of kids that are going through the process, they're not fortunate enough to have that kind of system around them to help them through that process yeah you're exactly right both my brothers uh i i tried to go on all the recruiting visits with them and i kind of uh i kind of kept a close eye on you know which coaches they liked which ones uh treated them well which ones did or didn't um do things for them and and so that kind of helped me out when i when it was my turn to make a decision and i think i was kind of ahead of the game and then like you said uh, my parents were great just because they uh, they were just like, hey, this is your decision. This is the decision that you have to live with, and we'll support you with whatever decision that you make. And so, yeah, same thing as kids these days are, you know, they got dads and uncles and brothers and everyone else that are trying to make the decision for them. But at the end of the day, it's the, it's the kid that has to go to school and it's the kids that has to put on the work and uh, the one that has to live with the decision. And living with that decision very much includes a very close, I'm assuming, and uh, intense relationship with your head coach. Tell us a little bit what it was like to be recruited and even more importantly coached by Coach Crean and any members of his staff that were particularly influential on your game. Yeah, um, I think I talked to a little bit of everyone on the staff uh, when I was being recruited uh, a lot of a lot of uh, calls with with Tim Buckley, and I got to know him really well. Uh, even uh, when I got there, Jay Grossman uh, was kind of the director of basketball operations. And when I was there, also Calvert Cheney uh, was great to have around. Great to kind of be a voice about what the next level would be like. And then, uh, like you said, Coach Crean is a great recruiter. Uh, a lot of time on the phone on the phone with him when I was trying to make my decision and um, he kind of gave a good picture of how they would use me uh, the stuff that I could work on once I was there and yeah all that all that came true once I was on campus and uh, he was really hard on us and that's what I loved about him um, and it all started with Vic and I if it was if we ever if our team ever lost or um, if we didn't play well, it was on Vic and I to kind of, uh, you know, take the brunt of the, of the, uh, the tongue lashing just because, you know, we were the two that had to lead the team. And so now, now, especially in the NBA, it's, uh, it's a lot different just because the, you know, usually the big money guys or the, the stars, of the team, the coach would kind of ask for their feedback, but in college, it was more so I'm going to be the hardest on Cody and Vic and the rest of it will trickle down because I know that Cody and Vic will be the hardest working guy. So we all know Coach Crean to be extremely intense, lots of energy, 
Give us something funny about Coach Crean that happened behind the scenes. Give us a funny story. Oh. Give us something. Oh, my. Uh, funny story about Coach Crean. Um, oh, this is tough. Uh, most of them, like you said, are have to do with how intense and uh, a little bit crazy at times, how, how he was in practice, uh, especially after some of his losses. Uh, one of my one of my favorite stories was when uh, I had my official visit, and my the official visit is kind of my chance to get to know some of the guys on the team, some of the guys that I'll play with. It's it's really the only time that I've been able to go to dinner with the players, uh, stay overnight with them, and kind of see what camps is like. Because most of the other time, it's just you know for the unofficial visits, you're just there for you know a workout, you're there for a football game, or you're kind of in and out, but the, the official visit was really t- my time to get to know the players. And so I went to, it was an Indiana, Ohio state football game. Oof, and that didn't end well. Yeah. So, but it actually, they hit, Indiana played well the first quarter. I think they got up maybe 14 to nothing. And so I was sitting in the student section with all the, the, the guys at the time and I was having a good time getting to know them. You know, the football game was great. The crowd was really into it. And Coach Green calls me up to his seat, which is just maybe 15 or 20 rows up. And it's cold at the time, so he's he's drawing out plays and actions of how he'll use me on his Starbucks cup. And <laughs> so he's got a Sharpie, and he's drawing it. So we're sitting there, and he's drawing up, like, you know, an elbow action, and you're going to catch on the elbow. You know, you're going to have an, an option of handing off to the big uh, to the point guard or you can play with the guy in the corner. So he's drawing all this, using a Sharpie on the side of his Starbucks cup. And meanwhile, there's, you know, thousands of people. And I remember there's even like a, a, a pass to the corner of the end zone. And so the whole crowd stands up and in the end, that ends up catching it for a touchdown. The whole place is going crazy. And there's fireworks going off and Coach Crean doesn't miss a beat. He's like, so you're gonna you're gonna have an option of hand to point guard here. <laughs> I was like, this guy really lives and breathes basketball. I mean, it is nonstop. So anyway, that's that's, that's a good one. Uh, well, yeah. So when you you get to campus, there you're sort of hailed as the the savior of Indiana basketball. What is it like becoming integrated with the the team? The guys who are already there, um, the other guys you came in with. Who did you get close to? Who did you room with? And any funny stories you want to share there yeah um really i I ruined with austin ellington and remy abel my freshman year and even that first summer that was on campus and but i really had gotten to know quite a few of the guys on the team pretty well obviously jordan holes and then Corey barnett was my host on my official visit so i knew him really well uh but all the guys on on the team we got along with really well which is uh, played a big part in my decision that I knew I get along with them off the court, but also you know, like playing with them on the court as well. So really it was a pretty seamless uh, transition from high school into that first summer of workouts and um, into my freshman year. And you're the prankster, right? Are you the main prankster? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've gotten a little bit of reputation for that. What, what's a favorite prank you pulled on a teammate? Uh, on a teammate... Um, I don't know. I was usually pretty nice to my teammates. Nothing too bad. 
Did you prank your opponents? <laughs> your coaches? Would you, would you go? Would you go into the visitors' locker room, put a whoopee cushion down? Like what was more going so, on? More so, more so, my my family, my brothers, and uh, my uh, my parents. So, how quickly uh, did you realize that Victor Oladipo would never stop singing? Oh, uh, very quickly. He is, <laughs> and even now, he is always singing nonstop. My my one thing that I told him, I was like, Vic, you have to learn a country song at some point. That was that was my only request for him. Did he? And so yeah, now he knows one country song. It's a Rascal Flatts uh, song, and so yeah, he'll sing it. That's the only song he sings around me now because he's he's real impressed. That is great. But, uh, but yeah, nonstop singing in the car, in the shower, and the locker room, everything else. He's nonstop. Has has he asked you to come into the studio as a do some guest vocals as the big hands? No, scene? which I'm I'm kind of offended about that he's never asked me to sing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, maybe one day. You, you I, should put out a rap album. I mean, go against type and put out a rap album. Yeah, I think country is more my speed, but, I've, yeah. I mean, I have to learn how to play guitar and I have to learn how to sing first. But other than that, yeah, I think I'm right there. You're not that far away. It's the, only the, two things. Those are minor details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Cody, uh, let's get into basketball a little bit your freshman year. You come into Indiana. You scored double digits in eleven of your first twelve games, and it seems from the outside looking in that wow, this guy, this guy's got it figured out. This team is really starting to play better. But we, as Indiana fans, had seen three years of some of the worst basketball that Indiana's ever had. So we were all <laughs> a little gun shy on jumping on board like we're back. And then we play. This is Ward's favorite game that that I think he he has brought up on several of our interviews at NC State. Yeah. And do you remember that game? And and being as someone who this is your first year, you didn't experience the three years of the drought, you know, that we had. But did you feel any of that pressure coming into that season from the guys that were there? Like, we've got to get over the hump. And then the NC State game, which guys like Christian Watford and Verdell and Jordy have all said to us really did feel like we're over the hump. That felt like it to them. Did that feel like it to you? Yeah, I was uh, a little bit different, and and I agree with you. I think the NC State game was, you know, the the Kentucky game gets a lot of a lot of praise, but I think it was even before that at the NC State game. And uh, I was kind of a kind of a, a freshman that didn't really know how things went, and so I obviously knew, you know, what each one of my teammates were capable capable of. But that was really our first test of the year. And we ended up playing really well. And I remember Jordy hit a couple of big shots. Christian played well. And we had a big comeback at the end. And all the guys were so excited, obviously, on the plane ride back. And obviously, I was excited, too, for a big win. But uh, I don't think that I had had the, uh, the lead-up that they had had. I kind of, you know, showed up in only 10 or 15 games in the season is, is when we got that big win. And I remember texting my brother, like, I thought we were supposed to win all these games. <laughs> and But for them, like, you know, it was all the work that they had done for years leading up to finally having that one time where they get over the hump. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was obviously exciting for me, but I think that those guys were even more relieved to, to finally get a big one on the road. Well, and you had said something, and I think it might have been going into your sophomore year of like, oh, no, I, I expect us to win all these games. And when you're coming off winning three state championships – you know, there's got to be uh, something in your muscle memory that just when it comes to crunch time is like, okay, yeah, this is when we thrive and we get the, the plays that that ultimately make the difference. 
did you feel that that was something uh you know, you, you had mentioned Coach Crean even talking about you and Vic being the ones who get the tongue lashing, and you're a leader right away. Is that purely because of the skills you have on the court, or is that is you think as much of any of it, it's, it's the winner's mentality that makes you a leader? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, uh, I didn't want to come in and uh, as a freshman, nobody wants to hear the, the freshman come in and uh, tell everyone else what to do. And so I would even say, you know, I might have been one of the more skilled guys on the team, but I would even say guys like Jordan Halls and some of those guys were already the leaders of the team, Christian. And so I just came in with a, a working mentality and, you know, I wanted to be the, the hardest working guy on the team and kind of come in with, uh, you know, a chip on my shoulder. And uh, so many guys come in and I even see it with some of our rookies um, throughout my NBA career. They come in and they think they got all the answers. And, but for me, I, I wanted to come in the first day and show like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to learn. And, uh, so that's kind of was my mentality. And yeah, like I said, I would, I wouldn't call myself necessarily a leader, especially early on in the season, my freshman year. So now let's go to Kentucky. Indiana's eight. No, Kentucky's eight. No, Kentucky's ranked number one in the country. Indiana isn't ranked mostly because the last three years, nobody just nobody was ready to believe Indiana yet, even after the NC State win. I, I don't want to dwell on this too much because we've covered it a bunch. We are going to dwell on one part of the game. Uh, but just quickly, what was you talked about coming to Indiana in part because you wanted to play on a big stage? There was no bigger stage in your two years, truthfully, than this game at that moment. Just walk us through a little bit of what your mindset was walking into that game and when you came into Assembly Hall and heard that crowd at that level. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, when I committed to Indiana, I wanted to play on the big stage. I wanted to play in big games. And that was really my first taste of of Assembly Hall and what it was capable of and uh, all the, the hoopla leading up to it with the, the fans lined up at the, you know, around the building, you know, leading up to it four or five days before the game. And uh, once the game even got there, it was, you know, it was rocking even an hour before the game. And so there was so much lead up to the game. And, and like I said, that was, those are games you want to be a part of. And, and once the game started, it was obviously uh, we played really well and, uh, that even kind of fed into the uh, how, how loud the crowd was, and um, so yeah, it was definitely a memorable game, and and even more so, I think, uh, kind of the perfectionist inside of me, and I remember even the film session after the game, uh, kind of makes haunts me the the last ten or twelve eight eight to eight to twelve minutes of that game because really we lost that lead, and it should have never been close at the end where we needed a shot like Christian hit, but. Um, man, I'm glad that we came out on top, and uh, it's definitely a memorable, uh, memorable game. Uh, I, I, I wasn't even thinking about bringing this up, but I, I watch that game regularly because it makes me happy. And uh, <laughs> one thing, and, and I usually turn, I either watch it with Don Fisher's call on it, when you can find that online instead of the ESPN guys, but it was Dick Vitale was calling the game. And one thing Dick Vitale was going nuts about in that stretch that you're talking about was the fact that we were not getting the ball into the post to you. And 
you were having a good game, and when you did get the ball in the post, good things happened. You were able to get Anthony Davis into foul trouble. You were able to put moves on him. Guys were slashing when you had the ball in the post. Good things happened. But that last eight to ten minutes, you did not get the ball more than like once or twice in the post. When that was all happening, I'm just curious if that bothered you. Did In breaks, were you trying to get guys to give me the ball? Like what was happening in that stretch? No, I think uh... – Honestly, I don't think I even realized that I wasn't getting touches. Uh, I was still trying to have an impact in other other areas of the game. And, you know, especially as a freshman, uh, I got Anthony Davis guarding me, who's uh, one of the best players in the country. And and uh, so I knew that I had played well throughout the game, but um, I think all of us were kind of at a point where we kind of feel it slipping away and – that's when that's when it, it got a little worse for us that last eight minutes. So I'm glad that we were able to, as a group, kind of recompose ourselves and, and finish out the last few minutes of the game. Well, let's talk about that very last play because we've had the great pleasure of, of talking to Jordy and Christian and Verdell. And two of those guys, two of them, they said that Cody... That last play, you were in the wrong spot. They, you, you didn't do they, what coach had drawn up. Give us your point of view. They on totally what threw you under the bus. A hundred percent. Well, that's exactly true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't remember the the play calls. We had we had two full court play calls. One was like, I want to say one was called Cowboy, and one was called Five. And on one of them, I was supposed to set a back screen for one of the guards coming off. And then the other one, I was supposed to start at half court and set a cross screen. So whatever play that they had called, I ran the other one. And so I ended up running up and I, I was in a perfect spot to set the screen for Verdell. But I was supposed to be like on the other side of the court doing something out of the way. <laughs> and so it all worked out. And I really didn't even realize it. Like we hit the shot, you know, we have a, you know, rush to court, do all that. Uh, I didn't even realize it till an article came out maybe a few days later that they were talking about talking about it. And I remember Verdell told him like, yeah, we ran a, a perfect play. We called it cowboy. And I read the article and I was like, we ran cowboy. I thought we were running five. <laughs> I really didn't even realize it until like three days later that I had run the wrong play. So yeah, I'll, yeah, that's uh, completely accurate. The other guy said that I ran it wrong. All's well that ends well. You, you've played a lot of high-level basketball. You've won a lot of championships. You've played in a lot of big games on every level. Where does that moment, when Christian hit that shot, stack up in all of the moments that you've been involved with in basketball? Uh, it has to be at the top. Um, just to have, like you said, all the lead up to that to that one shot with the uh, the big matchup of Kentucky versus Indiana and the crowd at Assembly Hall. Um, you know, the number one team in the country to hit that shot and have the students rush to court, everything else. That moment was was definitely something memorable and I don't I don't think that it's been topped. Did it also feel like a near death experience to you like it did for Christian and some of the others who were buried? <laughs> yeah. It 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 wasn't too bad for me because especially once I was able to stand up, I felt like I was a little bit over the crowd being seven foot tall. Uh but yeah, that was definitely a memorable game. When when people ask me my most memorable game, I think that was my most memorable moment. I think the most memorable game was at Michigan. Oh uh, yeah, your sophomore win, year. Yeah, to win the uh, to win the Big Ten championship, just because uh, this kind of the same thing. We had 
we had a chance to clinch the Big Ten at home against Ohio State and kind of blew our chance there. And then kind of having our backs against the wall, um, you know, being, uh, you know, being down early and even into the last few minutes of that game and to come back and win in the fashion that we did on the road. And that was, that was a really uh, a special game. So I think that was my favorite game overall uh, of my college career. Do you remember your stat line from that game? No, not at all. I remember the last funny. We just, we interviewed Juwan Morgan recently. That guy remembers every stat of every game he's ever played. Really? Yes, I and mean, yeah. he just nailed it. Well, Everyone. It, it was getting so like obvious that he had like a special gift when he was remembering like dates of games from his freshman year, and we learned that he has wow. a photographic memory. So you scored wow. twenty five. You went for twenty five points and ten rebounds in that game against Michigan at Michigan. But I have yeah. to ask you about, and I want to talk a little bit more about the sophomore year and being now the kind of targeted team as opposed to the underdog who surprised people. Well, even that, like, let's talk about you deciding to come back for yourself. Yes, because I hear that you it was pretty close to you leaving. You could have been – you were you were going to be a lottery pick in all, uh, in all likelihood. Yeah, I had uh, – I mean, when I committed to Indiana, like we were talking about before, my brother's kind of – paid the way in in each step of my career and both my brothers stayed in college all four years and so when I went to Indiana I expected to stay all four years and that was my honest mindset from the from the start and although I was a McDonald's All-American and and everything else coming out of high school I figured that you know I would just follow my brother's footsteps so really I didn't even know uh it was about halfway through my freshman year. I was talking to my brother, and I think we were talking about one of his teammates at Carolina. And I asked him if if he was going to stay or leave, or if he had any indication. And so he told me his opinion on it. And then he asked me, he's like, "What about you?" And I didn't even know what to say. I was like, "Is there really? Is that really a chance that I could leave?" And so it really didn't even dawn on me until about halfway through my freshman year. And after my freshman year, I kind of decided that uh, I hadn't really enjoyed my my college experience. I mean, I had expected to be there four years, and now I'm, you know, I've been on campus for six or eight months, and I had the chance for my college career to be over. And I knew that we had a good team coming back with, you know, obviously Vic, Jordy, all those guys would be back, and I knew that we'd have a good team, so that all kind of played into it. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that I did. Definitely glad that I came back my sophomore year. So a lot of that is like, you're the big handsome in Bloomington and, and you walk around and you, and you know, you're coming back as, as what is going to be the number one team in the country for most of the season. So it's not just what you wanted to accomplish on the court that year, but just loving being a student in Bloomington. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was more so it than anything else. I mean, I, I just love being around those those guys. Uh, everyone talks about, even if you aren't an athlete, everyone talks about how college is the best four years of their life and and everything else. And I had heard so many of those stories that I was like, I think I can continue to improve uh, under Coach Crean and playing another year in college, and uh, the NBA will be there when I'm when I'm ready for it. All right, well, let's talk about Bloomington a little bit. B-Town. 
Give us your favorite restaurant in Bloomington. Let's start with pizza. Favorite pizza. Favorite pizza, Mother Bears. What'd you far. get? What was your pie? What would you get? I would get the, uh, I think they call it Divine Swine, the the uh, all-meat pizza. Nice. Oh, it's the best. Yes. It's the best. I miss it so much in Charlotte. Favorite sandwich in Bloomington? Favorite sandwich? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. You ever I love the Buff Louis. Buff oh, Louis. Yeah. Because- we that's kind of more. I like their burgers. That's not so much a sandwich. What? Huh. You get a burger at Buffalo's? Yeah, I get the. Um, and for me, they would do a double patty on it. It was like a full pound of meat. I know, it sounds uh, like an NCAA violation to me. <laughs> I'd have to pay for it. Oh, okay. It right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Let's make that clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, fav- the what about favorite class? Favorite class. Uh, I'm such a nerd. I was. I was in the. Like I said, I was in the Kelly School of Business. So. Yeah. Uh, All right. Stop uh, bragging. We get it. We get it. Yeah. I had, I had, I had some tough classes. I, one of them that, um, kind of sets the Kelly school apart was their, uh, Microsoft Excel class. And it was really challenging, but I'm such a nerd now that I make Excel sheets for everything. Like your lemonade stand. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of, a lot of empty cells in that one though. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, I had two classes at, at Kelly that were both Microsoft Excel classes and, both of them were really challenging, but I learned a lot in both of those. Wait, I'm going to nerd out uh, here for a second on Excel. Do you know how yeah. to make? Do you know how to build a macro? Yeah, I know how to build a macro. Nice. Do you know? Do you know what the word concatenate means? Concatenate? Yeah. I don't know. I think I probably did at one point, but it's been, yeah. it's been a little while. I had to get it for one jo- for a job I had early in my career. I had to really learn Excel, and there was a formula called concatenate where you would take. Wow. You would take cells from different rows and bring them all together in a certain format, which wow. was a good, that was a good formula. That's impressive. <laughs> there this, is something actually, really satisfying, right, about building yeah. a formula in oh, Excel and getting it best. to work? It's the best. And then you, you type in one number in a cell and it, like, solves your whole, the whole sheet. It's yes. the best. Which just... actually, it actually came into handy back to the pre-draft workouts. I flew to 10 different teams, and one of them was in, at Portland. And the day of my workout, they had changed my workout time like two or three times. And I was getting kind of frustrated. It was supposed to be like an early, you know, 10 a.m. workout. And then they moved it to 2 p.m. And then they moved it back up to like 1 p.m. And so I was getting a little frustrated. I'm trying to, you know, plan out meals. and I want to play well. And so I get there and it looks like the president's there. There's like five big black SUVs lined up out front. And so I walk in and work out, but uh, I, I figured out that it was why uh, Paul Allen had flown in on his helicopter for the workout, mm-hmm. and the owner of the um, the owner of the Trailblazers, and one of the founders of Microsoft. Yes. <laughs> so so I worked out, and he was supposed to go to dinner with us, but he said he was going to fly back to his spot in Seattle. And so he just, they had me come in, talk to him in a conference room for about 15 minutes. And he's a, a little bit quirky, like he's a, he's a computer guy. And so we start talking and he's like, you know, what were some of your favorite classes at, at Indiana? And I was like, well, you know, I say this, even if it's not to you, but I love the Microsoft Excel classes. <laughs> and so we, we led on to like a 15 minute conversation about, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Access, and, you know, how he developed it and everything else. And just looking around the room, around the table, like the other coaches were like, 
what are you guys talking about? <laughs> and so we walked out and we went to dinner later and they're like, we can confidently say that you're the first person that's come in here and talked to Paul Allen about Microsoft Excel of all things. <laughs> that is phenomenal. So, so yeah, Tim and Handy. We know you love basketball. We know you love Excel. I also understand <laughs> that another love of your life is cookies. Ooh. Yeah, cookies. Is that just the go-to dessert snack for you? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a chocolate chip cookie guy. Uh, I've tried to I've tried to cut back a little bit, you know, playing professional basketball. You got to right. you know be healthy and work out and all that stuff. But uh, cookies are still the one spot where I I'm like ah I worked okay. out hard today. I can I can afford some cookies. Okay, here's the thing, Cody. Next time you come to L.A., I'm gonna make sure our good friend Tara Martino, who deserves a shout out here on the show, <laughs> she's gonna get you some milk jar cookies. They're the best cookies in the world, and the next time you come to town, I'm going to make sure she gets you – we'll get you a variety pack. We'll make sure there's some chocolate chip in there, but they have a really amazing variety. That's awesome. I was Like I said, I was in L.A. for that month working out before the draft, and Corey Barnett was out there with me, and we went to Diddy Reese. Oh, yeah. At least one – at least – yeah, a couple times a week at least. Would you do the ice cream sandwich, or would you just do the cookies? Yeah. Yeah, I would at least at least a couple of them each time we went. Yeah, absolutely. So, now I, I yeah. gotta ask, when you were in Bloomington, did you do baked where they would deliver the cookies? Did you ever order yeah, that? I yeah. did that yeah, I did that a handful of times as well. Yeah. That is dangerous. That is really dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. All right, I'm so, thinking, you know, I yeah. had the lemonade stand going. I don't think there's anything like that here in Charlotte, you know? Well there you I go. Have a, a cookie delivery yeah. in Charlotte. Although I would say that from what you have told us so far about the success of your lemonade stand, I'm not sure you're the guy to do it. <laughs> that hurts. That I'm hurts. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest it's with just, you. It's just the first week, you know. Yeah. we got to work out the kinks. That's right. Retail takes some time. Yeah. Uh, I want to want to jump to the Michigan game. We're gonna. You were number one for the for most of the year. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do want to get to that Michigan game, which was just such an amazing ending to that regular season because of. Not every, not just everything that happened that season and the season before, but the several years before to culminate in that Big Ten championship. But right after the game, something controversial happened, and that's <laughs> Coach Crean confronting a former assistant coach that worked for Samson at Indiana, Jeff Meyer, and creating a viral moment that that made ESPN. It went across YouTube, and I will just speak from a personal standpoint. In many ways, it soured me on just the elation of that moment. Did did that register at all for you guys? And when did you realize that happened, or did was it so insignificant to you guys it didn't matter? Yeah, I think uh, I think that we kind of looked past it. Uh, we were so excited by just winning the Big Ten championship and and uh, all the hard work that we had put into it, and. So yeah, we were we were more so focused on that. I think the media made that out to be, um, you know, more than it was. And I, I think Coach Green just got caught up in the moment. And like I said, I I had um, watched both my brothers and their uh, recruiting trips, and so I knew Coach Meyer fairly well from his time in Indiana and when they he was recruiting both my brothers, and uh, I I thought really highly of him. So. Um, so yeah, I don't think that, I think coach, coach Green might have just got caught up in the moment and, um, yeah, probably something that he wished he could have redone. So I think when we talk about 
that team, you guys from the Kentucky game the season before through the next season where you're number one in the country more than any other team, you go into the NCAA tournament as a number one seed, get back to the Sweet 16. Like Coach Crean and now with with your arrival and return has brought Indiana back to the very top. It 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 took four years, three of them which were were tough, but like there we are in the conversation. We're favored to get to the final four, come up against the Syracuse zone. There's uh some injury and and you guys fall short of of getting to the final four. And I think a lot of people see that as a turning point in the Coach Crean era. Do you do you think it's it's fair the way the fan base started to turn there on him and then later, you know, before he was finally let go, it was another season ravaged by injuries with OG Anunobi and and James Blackman. Do you think that narrative is is fair or do you think that it just kind of bad luck when it comes to matchups in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, this has been a really fun interview. Uh, you know, up until now that we got to talk about the Syracuse game. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I think, uh, I think, like you said, I think it was just a perfect storm that, um, you know, with the Syracuse zone and their size. And, uh, you know, we really hadn't seen much of it all year. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a perfect storm. One bad game, that's uh, the fun of the NCAA tournament, but also, you know, kind of the puts a sour taste in your mouth as well. If, you know, you have one bad game. And, um, but yeah, with, with coach Crean, I think he had a, he had a tough time on his, uh, on his hands just because, uh, he, we lost so much that year, obviously with, with, uh, Vic and I leaving for the NBA, but also, you know, Jordy and Christian and, uh, Derek Elson, those guys that were kind of the senior leadership as well. And so, yeah, we just kind of left with, a uh, a tough, a tough time on his hands. And at Indiana, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a tough being a coach, uh, the head coach in Indiana. They the fan base expects a lot, and um, you know that's what that's why I went to Indiana. I knew what I had signed up for, and same thing for Coach Green. I know that you know he wanted to coach on a big stage and coach in Indiana. And that's what you sign up for. But uh, when things don't go well, um, which it didn't in the next few years, it's uh, you know they're quick to uh, quick to move on to someone else. All right, so let's get back to something fun. You played with a lot of good guys on that team. We've talked to many of them, and you can easily tell why there was so much chemistry on that team because everybody yeah. just seems like such a good guy, fun guy to talk to and, yeah. and to be around. Give us something embarrassing about somebody on that team. Give us a give us an Elston story. Give me a Verdell story. <laughs> Tipton tornado. Yeah, we give us something that happened in those two years when you were there that would make Indiana fans smile. Oh wow, that's that's a very broad question. It is. Like you said, like you said, we had. I mean, still the the closest friends in my life are those guys uh, from that team. And now in the NBA, it's you're more like coworkers. Like you, we all get along well, but we had Tony Parker was 38 this year, or whatever, and then uh, our youngest guy was 19. So there's a huge wow. gap there. So I mean, guys are just in different stages of life. So um, the NBA is nothing like it was in college because in college we did everything together, from uh, obviously on the court, but uh, off the court as well. Um, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing cards or going out together, going out to dinner. 
Um, and so those, those are still some of my closest friends, like you said, with Jordy, Vic, Christian, uh, Derek, all those guys. So, so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm killing time. So yeah, so you were buying time. That's okay. Maybe yeah. something will come to you. That's yeah. fine. Well, yeah. and, and, uh, and we know we're, we're pushing our time limit here with you, but we have to ask about, uh, obviously you and Vic, uh, joined forces to help the current Indiana program. Uh, your names are there to the the new players' lounge and locker room. What's your relationship uh, with Coach Miller and the current program, and and how important is it for you to support the Indiana Hoosiers going forward? Yeah, I, I was glad that Vic and I were able to to help out with the locker room and Assembly Hall is such a special place, and and to be able to play there and. Uh, but to be honest with you, the, the locker room hadn't been touched since the Bob Knight days. It was, uh, it was quite a bit behind where most other schools were. And so when the opportunity came up that they were going to remodel that area, uh, Vic and I were excited to be able to help out because we knew that it was much needed. And I think even down the road, it'll help with recruiting and everything else. So it was kind of our way of, of giving back and, um, you know, I, I love going back. My oldest brother still lives in Bloomington, and I love going back to campus. And um, yeah, so it's it's a little bit different going back now because obviously none of the guys I played with are there, and um, the coaching staff got to know the coaching staff a little bit, but it's not the ones that I was there, you know, for my two years. Um, really, the one I'm closest with is uh, is Ed Schilling. Like I said, he, we kind of knew each other even back to. Uh, when he was coaching Yogi in high school, and so I know him uh, very well. And then a lot of the, you know, Tim Garl is still there. Um, all the, the training staff, uh, Doctor Rink. Uh, so a lot of times when I go back, I'm able to to see a lot of those guys as well. So when you look back on your IU career, you told us the favorite moment was Christian hitting the shot against Kentucky. Your favorite yeah. game was at Michigan, winning the Big Ten title. Yeah. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite moment from just being an IU student in Bloomington for those two years? Does something stick out to you, not related to basketball, that you look back on fondly? Um, like I said, I, I love just being a normal student. Uh, I loved. Uh, I lived at Briscoe my first year. Disco Briscoe. Yeah, Disco Briscoe. There you go. And they they just remodeled it, so I don't think it was as. Uh, as disco briscoe as, as back in the day <laughs> more like a, a hotel room but yeah uh, no good yeah so living in living in briscoe was was a lot of fun with uh like i said austin and remy that you know i've stayed close with and then even the the other people on my floor just the regular students i'm still staying in touch with and um you know like i said going to class was was fun i still stay in touch with some of my professors at school and so, yeah, I just love being a, a normal student. And uh, although it was just there two years, I would have, um, and I'm, I'm glad I made the decision to leave when I did. Uh, I would have loved to be there even, even longer. But you are a graduate, right? You went I back am, and got yeah. your degree. You are a Hoosier yeah. alum. Yeah, I, I was able to finish. I, I, had, I think I had um, uh, 22 credits coming out of high school, and then I took – summer school my before my freshman year and then before my sophomore year so i was kind of on the fast track and i think i had 32 or 33 credits left when i left for the nba after my sophomore year so i was able to finish online and 
just kind of chipped away at it, took a few, a few credits per semester. And uh, a lot of times I would just do it uh, on the road in a hotel room or um, I was able to, to kind of knock it out about once a week, uh, kind of sit down and do it. So yeah, I was well, definitely glad that I was able to finish. And and now with your your degree from the Kelly School of Business, you are the entrepreneur of a lemonade stand. Yep, putting it not all a, to good use. Not a successful lemonade stand yet, but a lemonade. early days. Early, early days. days. Well, look, yeah. if, hopefully this podcast will get just a throngs of people flooding, like Field of Dreams. You That's have built it, for. and now they will come. <laughs> a long line of cars coming into your what house tonight. For. Cody, uh, just to wrap this up, thank you so much for for taking the time. As I said, I think before we got on the call, I'm staring across this table at Ward wearing a number 40 Indiana jersey because because of a couple players that have worn that. But uh, I can't think of any other player who could fill the number 40 jersey the way that you did after the legacy that Calbert Chaney left in it. Was that why you picked 40? Uh, Not necessarily. I had worn it in high school. And I knew of Howard Chaney, but I don't think I, uh, he was a little bit before my time. So I don't think I really appreciated all that he did or who he was as a person and until I got to campus. So, uh, so yeah, I'm glad that I was able to, uh, you know, make him proud with how I, how I represented the number. Well, we really appreciate you taking one last shot to make us realize how old we are, that, that <laughs> Calvert Chaney was before your time. That is upsetting. Um, I know it's facts, but it's upsetting. Uh, Cody, uh, you have given Indiana fans so much to be prideful of and, and excited for. We followed your career in Washington. We were hopeful that you would choose Indiana. You did. You You turned. You were a a key piece in turning the entire program, the entire state, and the entire Hoosier Nation around. We have followed your career in the NBA. I check your box scores every single day. Eric insists you are the best screener in the NBA. I do. I have, <laughs> and therefore the world. There you go. Look, you said, go. A, you said a good screen. Am I right? Uh, yeah, that's uh, something I pride myself on. I wish I was like, you know, the best dunker in the league or like the best scorer. It was like, no, he's just really good at getting in the way of guys. Like, <laughs> hey, you have, I guess you got to be good at something. But wait know? a minute, Cody, you have posterized <laughs> some people. You have, uh, you have, you come on, you've got some poster dunks out there. Yeah, I've had a couple. I've surprised a few guys. Yeah. No, no. And, and that was part of our conversation before you called was Eric was saying, you know, he had watched some recent posterizing dunks that were terrifying you had a good one against aaron gordon that was a good one yeah not bad not yeah bad. not bad by the not way bad for a white guy not bad for a white guy and just to bust your chops a little bit because i feel like we're friends now and we can do that yeah yeah we are. i couldn't find this step oh he just said we're friends yep. that's good it's on tape it's on tape uh we cut out all the interview except for that uh, but cody i couldn't find this stat anywhere where do you think you rank in the nba in fouling in fa- most fouls yeah most fouls this season? Yeah. Uh, like fouls per minute? Yeah, yeah, fouls per minute. I was probably pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say I was a little banged up this year. You know, didn't quite have the foot speed. So a lot of times I was caught, you know, like, I'd rather just foul this guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, just get it. Get, just put him on but, the line. You know, I, I get my money's worth, though, sometimes. It's Look, like, I love that. It shows you're out there doing something. Yeah. Like, you know, I a lot of times I'm undersized as center and, uh, you got to use a couple of fouls to, you know, kind of prove your point. 
I like it. I like it. Don't give up any easy baskets. There you well, go. Well, and just the fact that you're you're out there, uh, you've been out there for several seasons, along with Vic and a lot of these other great players that Coach Green put out into the NBA, and that you come back to IU and you have a presence there. It's so important, I think, for for us fans who want to feel that the program is is a big, happy family. And obviously, there's been a lot of ups and downs over the last, oh, say. 20 years um but that you have been a shining light both during your time there and since and we certainly hope that you will continue to be a presence back in bloomington around the program because we think it's so important for the present and the future of the program that everybody knows you are part of the family i appreciate that i love i still love bloomington i i try to watch the uh the team as much as i can from afar and uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be kind of on the other side, uh, kind of supporting the team. Yeah. By the way, the last few years, the only way to watch this team is from afar. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I had to take the shot. I had to take the shot. Uh, Cody, thanks so much, man. We're, we're just huge fans. We wish you and your family, nothing but the best. Uh, you guys it. are what we want Indiana players to be. Uh, and we just couldn't thank you enough for taking the time to to share a little bit of your story with us and with anybody listening to this. Thanks so much, Cody. I appreciate it. I got I got one more story for you. Yes, uh, please. Yes. Back to back to your. I've been brainstorming uh, as we're talking here on one story that uh, that Indiana fans would like. Yes. Um, and this might this might change your your impression of me as a person. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever told this story like you know on a to the media like this but anyway but there was uh we had played we'd been upset at um at minnesota my sophomore year which is uh i played terrible the team didn't play well um trevor and bakwe played well and even even into the nba it was like i got that question a million times about uh you know how how are you going to play against nba guys similar to trevor and bakwe you know all this stuff so just uh and like I said, it, it all came back on Vic and I, and so the next day in practice, uh, and I, I I know now that Coach decided that he was going to see how far he could push me, and I'm always just a an even keel guy. I think you guys got kind of kind of attest to that. This yes. from watching me, I mean, I I take a lot of hits. I take a you know my my composure. I never lose my my cool about anything. And so Coach Crean was had decided that he was going to see how far he could push me, and so we started the we started the practice with a, a post up drill. So they threw it to me in the post, and I had to score uh, against the double team. And one of our managers named Santa was coming to double team from the free throw line. So there was uh, a guy guarding me behind me, and then Santa would come and double team me from the free throw line. And so I scored a couple times in a row. And the the drill was that you could keep going as many times as you wanted. So uh, I scored a couple times in a row and scored through the double team. The third time or so, I, I missed it, got my own rebound, put it back. Uh, so like the fourth time I go, uh, Santa comes down and he hits me like, I mean, he's coming at me hard. Like he's almost bull rushing me. And he hits out of my hands. I was still able to regather it and score it. So the, probably the fifth or sixth time he – I get it in the post. He knocks it out of my hands and he's probably, he's probably six one. He played, played basketball in high school. So like a pretty strong, like well-built guy, but 
So he knocks out of my hands and he gets up in my face. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're soft. You're soft. Oh. And I was like, man, Santa, not today, man. And he's like, no, no, just like Trevor and Bach, we last night. You're soft. Oh. I was like, all right, man, let's do it again. Let's, let's run it back. And so, so they throw it to me in the post. And he comes like full sprint at me from the free throw line. And so I swing my elbow at him. And I ended up losing the ball. I missed him with my elbow. But my momentum was carrying me forward. And so the ball was out of there. So I ended up tackling him. I put him on it. I put him on his back and I rolled him over and like put him in a headlock. <laughs> and so at this point, like all the guys are gathered around, like, like somebody needs to help him. And so one of the things coach Crean used to do was like, if there was ever a jump ball, we just fight for it until one of the guys got it. Like it might be 30 seconds. And so, so everyone kind of groups around and coach Crean's like, Whoever gets the ball, you know, fight till. And it's like, coach, there's no ball in there. There's no ball in there. And so finally, our strength conditioning coach is like, oh, shoot, somebody's got to help him. And so then there's like three or four people trying to pull me off. And I was like, I mean, Santa would almost turn him purple. I had such a, a tight, a tight hold on him. So the rest of practice, nobody said a word to me. Like, we don't know what just happened, but we've never seen that out of Cody. So You snapped uh, the day Cody that snapped. Nice. That was it, yeah. I think that's about the only time I've done it since. But That is uh, awesome. So yeah, I, I owe a, a huge apology to Santa. There you go. Well, a public apology. I'm, Cody, sure, I'm sure he's listening. Cody Zeller, <laughs> Hoosier legend, Excel nerd, cookie connoisseur, <laughs> failed businessman. And the uh, on-court rageaholic, rageaholic with, with a headlock that can turn you purple. That's it. That's uh, it. Cody, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the rest of the off season and and kick some ass this upcoming NBA season. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier hysterics. Oh, that was Cody. Hi yes. Ted. Hi, Hi Ted. Hi Ted. Oh, is he still on? Oh, that would be so embarrassing. <laughs> I think he would love it, though. Uh, awesome. What a funny, cool, smart, low-key dude. Yeah, I definitely would really like to be friends with him, not just we're on the podcast, friends. Yeah. No, I think we should book a trip to Charlotte. Sure. And buy some lemonade. Oh, and I'll bring the milk jar cookies with me. Yeah, we'll bring some cookies. We'll buy some lemonade. That was awesome, man. It is... Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. It's just so fun to get to know these guys for an hour, hour and a half. And and it's it's like with the guys coming in, we've talked about with Trace, Armand, and Joey, it just makes whether you're looking back at their time at IU or what they're doing now in the NBA, uh, it, it makes you feel that much stronger in terms of uh, the, the, the love you have for the program and the players in it. Where it's like, oh, it's not just these uh, uh, tall people on the court yeah. executing ball in and stop ball. It's like, oh, no, these are like good human beings uh, with a lot of personality. A lot of personality. It's. I will say that I think that college athletics do a disservice most of the time to the players. I know they're trying to protect them, but... These guys have great personalities. I think – I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Duke did a pretty decent job letting the guys like Zion show their personality a little this year. Uh, 
it's tough to get to get during the season. What are these guys like? They're just doing these very short form, you know, rapid fire questions and press conferences. The media availability is very limited during the season. So you're right. It's just fun. You you become bigger fans of them when you realize that they are just cool people, good people, funny people. I mean, one of my favorite things is Cody is like waiting around till five o'clock for guys to punch the clock so they can get out so he can go to dinner with them. I mean, it's just uh, I, we didn't get into it a lot, but I do think it was really interesting him talking about how enjoyable the college experience is when you are just with guys that are all your age, all in it for the same thing, as opposed to the NBA where you literally have an age range of a guy who is 19 and a guy who could be his dad yeah. on the team. You can't be the same level of friends with them. Well, and I think I, I see this here in Los Angeles, too, in the entertainment industry. We met in college. Uh, Travis, who's inside right now, making something with his animated paper stuff. We met in college. You bond with people in college because you just like each other. Right. You know, there's there's nothing really at stake. It's like the only reason you're hanging, you're in a class, you're you're in a you know a comedy group, whatever it is, and you just like, hey, I like you, you like me, and then you get out into the real world. And and everything has a certain amount of professional pressure, career or an agenda. Yeah. Right? Implications. Yeah. And and it's really hard to have that same kind of bond with the people you have in Bloomington at Indiana. I'm sure it might be the same at other colleges, but we can speak to the fact that the people you meet in Indiana and you get along with in Bloomington are often friends for life. It's uh, totally agreed. It's also because when you're in college, you're in that bubble. Right. Especially when you go to a school like Indiana, which is so special that it is a college town. It's, it's not like a... Brigadoon. It's like this <laughs> right. magical place that appears for four years. Yes. And you can go back and visit it. And, yeah. and we do recapture that bit of magic for a weekend. Right. But it's all about remembering those. Four it is. Years. Although I have to say, I value my time in Bloomington more the further I get away from it. When you're there an 18-year-old kid or a 22-year-old kid, I don't think you have the perspective or the wisdom of years to know how special that is. You're just enjoying it. I mean, I feel like I did as much as I could, but even by my senior year, I was ready to get out. I yeah, was ready exactly. To... That's what I mean. But yeah. now you look back at it and you go, God, you could talk to your former self. Just Cody decided to pass up millions of dollars in the NBA to come back and be a college student at Indiana because he knew how special it was. Many of us that are listening to this got four years at Indiana, some even more with graduate school and, and the like, and some live in the area, which is phenomenal. But it is just such a special place, and it's a, it's a place that bonds us to a, a person like Cody. I mean, we are many years older than Cody and would not travel in the same social circles because we're from different generations and different frame of references and everything. Andy signed a four-year, $56 million deal, so there's that. <laughs> but we share Bloomington. When I it is a tie that binds. I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted something out over the weekend. I was with my son on a random street in Los Angeles on Ventura Boulevard, and I, my son is drinking a, a, a juice that we had just gotten from a store. And we're just hanging out outside. And I see a guy walking from the parking lot with a hoodie on and the shirt underneath it. I can tell I see the D-I-A-N. I know it's an Indiana shirt. I'm wearing an Indiana hoodie. He's probably in his mid-50s. We lock eyes. 
We pointed at each other. IU? Yeah, IU. When'd you graduate? 30 minutes later, we're exchanging numbers. Mm-hmm. He wanted mm-hmm. to know about the podcast. I sent him the links. We. What's his name? Is he listening? Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff is out there. Jeff runs Blood Labs in Los Angeles uh, and sets them up and certifies them. But- Everything, it didn't matter how much money Jeff made. It didn't matter how much money I made. It didn't matter what Jeff's job was. It didn't matter what my job was. All that mattered was we shared Bloomington and it leveled the playing field. We were just bonded in a way because we knew the same things. We talked about Knicks. We talked about Buffaloes. We talked about the things that, that bond us. And when we do these interviews with these guys, it's so refreshing to ask them about, oh, you like Mother Bears, you like Buffaloes. How at this point are we not sponsored by Mother Bears and Buffaloes? No kidding. I mean, every time. Well, I will say this. Ed Schwartzman, who owns Buffaloes, is the kindest human being in the world, incredible guy. And we have talked about doing some giveaways of Buffaloes gift cards. I mean, at least free Buffaloes when we get back. Oh, we at better this point. get some wings. By the way, I mean, a burger at Buffaloes. That was weird. That w- I mean, come on. That's why he's Cody Zeller. That's why he's Cody Zeller. Unique. Anyway, to wax nostalgic, just to, to put a button on that. It's just such a special place. It, what's, it is what bonds us and connects us. And I think it's a little bit of why these podcasts are so much fun for us to do. Because it just gives us a chance to connect to these people well, in a way that no one else can unless and, you were part of Bloomington. And literally, in my mind's eye, I see these places. Every time we talk to these players about them, whether it's Assembly Hall, whether it's you know going into Cook... Uh, somewhere on campus, one of these restaurants. Yeah, or, or Ballantyne, a classroom. We're, we're, we're sitting here in my dumpy garage, but in my mind's eye, I am transported back to Bloomington. Totally, and it just makes you happy because it is hard to not have a good time at Indiana University. Only and, only if you're Larry Bird does it not work out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, he's just, uh, Cody is the epitome of the kind of guy you want in your program. And they come around around once in a generation. That's the truth. I mean, somebody with just the full package of, of that. Though to hear you talk, it would be every person we talk to on this program. Yeah. For different reasons, but I, I'm talking about from a game changing program changing talent. Okay. I mean that. I mean, like so, Zach McRoberts is a different level player than Cody Zeller, but you want guys like Zach McRoberts on your team. So let's who else like besides Cody? We'd say that's what we wanted Romeo to be, but it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the right time and, and look, place timing, and timing. the injury, you know, and the team just wasn't in the same place. The truth is, Romeo would have been better for Archie in Indiana if he came around this year. Sure, you know, or next year and yeah. played one year. And and same thing with like okay, Eric Gordon. Certainly could have had the kind of impact that Cody did. Wrong, wrong timing. Well, and he did. I mean, the truth is, Eric Gordon did until the season fell apart. Right. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying what yeah. the timing is. It's is, all time. If uh, Cody Zeller, Jared Jeffries probably was the last. Uh, yeah, uh, up yeah. to Cody, like prior to Cody. Yeah, and the timing. Look, the timing was weird on that one, but it turned out to be fortuitous. It's all about timing. I mean, if Cody Zeller had come around in Crean's first year, well, we probably wouldn't have gotten him because he wouldn't have had time to establish what he was doing at Indiana. Well, yeah, Cody couldn't have come up and watched Vic and Will in practice. But and- even if it had been in year two, it may not have worked. You know, he came, the team, Crean had put in a couple recruiting classes, Vic and Will. Look, and so let's talk about stacking classes, which to bring it back around to Archie. Now, now we're entering into year three. And and Cody was year four for Kareem. Yeah. And we're not going to get back into this debate. Well, we don't have to get back into it, but it's something we can leave out there for listeners to think about in terms of I still believe 
patience is a virtue. And going into year three, especially after losing Romeo and Juwan, you know, and looking at who are the recruits coming in for year four, and, and we don't know yet, but we're starting to get an idea of the names that are out there. Maybe there's going to be, I don't know if it's a Cody Zeller coming in, or maybe it's more of like, hey, it's eight guys who are going to turn it around for Archie. But uh, I guess just after talking to Cody Zeller, I'm feeling optimistic about life. Yeah, these do help us become more optimistic. Even me, it makes me more optimistic. Uh, Until you like get to your car. And then all the demons start swirling back in. Yeah, it's true. That's fair. I get about three minutes of optimism, and then it all turns to hell again. Now that just look, these podcasts are so much fun to do. Love the comments we get on Pigs. Follow us on Twitter at, at Hoosier Hysterics. No vowels and hysterics. How's that going with buying that guy out? Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth. Uh, he wants uh, somewhere in the low six figures, which I think is a little bit steep, but uh, we'll we'll see what the next round of negotiations hold. Do you think Cody could do a lemonade stand to raise money for us to buy out hysterics with the vowels on Twitter? I think we want something that is going to have a little more potential <laughs> in terms of how much capital can be raised. Because even if he gets Kemba's full $221 million, I don't know how much gas he's going to have left in the tank for us. Plus, I love that, that he is not breaking even because he's buying the fancy lemonade like he's not even making the lemonade i worked at a restaurant and that's how they bought their soda and i showed up for a shift and they had closed it down oh there you go yeah no you got you got to keep your your operational costs as low as possible cody so uh at hoosier hysterics no vowels and hysterics email us at hoosier hysterics at gmail.com uh, we are getting closer and closer to announcing more details on the first Hoosier Hysterics event in Bloomington, Indiana, which will probably happen in December this year. Join us. So stay tuned. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We'll update it there. Uh, and, of course, listen to our podcast. Some fun ones coming up. Thank you for we, listening. Thank you, guys. By the way, we did uh, reference several times in this interview our conversation with Verdell Jones. That's next. Next Tuesday, we will give you Verdell Jones. And I have to tell you... Uh, you got to listen to this one. This guy had Verdell had one of the more unique careers at Indiana, uh, tragic in many ways, uh, tough in a lot of ways, and overlooked uh, by many. And I think it's worth going down memory lane with Verdell about the beginning of the Coach Crean era, and then being really one of only two guys who were there for all of the bad, and then the turn. Without Verdell, there may be no Cody. Wow, that's deep. Well, I, well, I'm I'm just sure. saying a butterfly it, flaps its wings. Like if you want to, like how, how we we had to put a team on the court for those those three years. That's true. And Verdell was the the best player on that team for those first couple years. He was uh, until the cavalry came a little bit. Verdell had to hold it down. He was great to talk to, and he's doing good things in his personal life too. What the guy is doing is is giving back and doing nice things for for people. It turns out he's cousins with Sean Livingston. I never knew that. He is. You never know what you're going to learn on the Hoosier Hysterics. Uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.